Today we are continuing a series that we began a couple of weeks ago in the book of 1 John um, called Rest Assured, Being Certain of Your Salvation. We are looking at how 1 John shows believers in Christ how we can know that we are in fact genuinely born again or saved, Christians. Having been in the ministry for several years now, a couple of decades, I have encountered lots of believers uh, in particular that um, battle doubt. At the same time, I've encountered various people battling doubt because, well, they're not genuinely saved, right? So how do you know the difference in the two? Well, 1 John helps us navigate that. It gives assurance to the believer, and it helps the unbeliever or the false believer, you might say, discover real faith in Christ. Last week, we talked about how the believer relates to sin. The believer admits their sin, we saw in 1 John. They own up to their sin. We know we're sinners. And at the same time, the believer in Christ hates sin and turns from sin, does not practice sin. We have a new nature that no longer walks, wants to walk in sin, that refuses to do that. And today we're going to look at the other side of that, kind of the same point, kind of more from a positive angle. When I say a believer doesn't practice sin, we talk about the habitual lifestyle, the bent of their life, ongoing, unrepentant sin. We think of the idea, usually, if you're like me, of avoiding doing very evil, obviously evil, wrong things, and that is true. But it's also true that sin is simply disobeying God, whether it is something you view as heinous or not. A believer doesn't just avoid obviously evil things. A believer, we will see today, pursues doing the right things, pursues obeying God. Obedience is about more than not messing up. Obeying God is about more than not doing vile or wicked things or a lifestyle of sin. Obedience to God is about aligning our lives with God's word and his will. His will as revealed in his word. So today we're talking about the believer and obedience. So look with me at 1 John chapter 2. I'm going to start by reading verses, uh, we're going to read through verses 1 through 6 here and see how the believer relates to God's commands. It says in 1 John chapter 2 verse 1, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. John writes, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now let's pause there for a second. These first two verses are sort of closing out the last section that we looked at last week about the believer and their relationship or attitude towards sin. But it's also a reminder as he's about to transition here of what a believer, as we see here, is trusting in for their salvation. As we're going to be talking about obedience this morning, we need to be reminded that believers do not rest in our obedience for our salvation. We rest in Christ. We obey Christ because we have been saved by Christ. We do not seek to earn our salvation by our behavior. Our behavior is changed because of our salvation. So we don't behave for salvation. We behave from salvation. We obey from salvation. Now, if we sin, John says, and we do, we have an advocate. Now, that word advocate means spokesperson, helper, intercessor. The idea is that Jesus is the one who speaks up for us, right, when we sin. The righteous one, as he calls him, the sinless one, Jesus Christ, speaks up for the believer in Christ. He advocates for us before the Father when we sin against the Father. Jesus is able to say, Father, their sin was judged in me on the cross. They are forgiven. They belong to me. They are part of our family. So when our sin speaks loudly over our life, the believer has an advocate that speaks louder, right? And that's Jesus. He goes on to say, he's our propitiation. The idea here is that Jesus bore the wrath of God for us, took the punishment for sin we deserve, the judgment of God. And when we believe on Jesus, 
We no longer have to bear the punishment for our sin. Hell, Jesus took that for us. So our advocate is our propitiation. Our advocate is the one who bore God's wrath for us. The one who took the wrath we deserve was the one who was punished for our sin, is the one who speaks up for us when we sin. It's an amazing thing that we see there in those first two verses. Then look at verse 3. And he said, and by this we know that we have come to know him. Here's how you know, you know the advocate. Here's how you know that propitiation has been applied to your account. Here's how you know you know God. He says, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not him. Not in him. Verse 5, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Now notice, there's a transition about how we know that we know him. And the false believers that we talked about in the first week, um, here in that John is having to, these false believers who are also false teachers, um, John is having to combat their heresy. They have wandered from the faith and they're trying to pursue these believers in these various churches that John is writing to to come away, to come astray with them. And they likely claimed a special knowledge of God. John uses the word know in some fashion over 40 times in the Greek. In verse John, it's a lot for five chapters. That's an average of what, eight times a chapter? I'm not good at math. Um, but about eight times a chapter, right? Four, Forty times plus times he uses that word because he's combating something, right? They say, we have the special knowledge of God. We really know God. You say you know God. We really know God. In fact, we found we know him better when we cast Jesus aside and he's no longer the Christ to us and, and we have this special knowledge of God. And John is saying, no, 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 they don't know anything. Believers, believers are the ones who know. And John says you can know that you know him, know God, because you keep or obey his commands. And John's later going to get very specific about what those commands are that he's talking about. Here he starts very generally because throughout the New Testament you see this revealed that believers keep the commands of God. Now when we become a relation, Christian, your relationship with God changes, right? You go from outside of God's family to inside of God's family, from an enemy of God to a friend of God from, to a child of God. And as such, God goes from being the authority that we have rebelled against, refused to recognize in one way or another, whether that's in an irreligious way or even a religious way, he becomes the authority we submit to gladly. He becomes our heavenly father. And those that know God obey both his written word and we follow the word made flesh, Jesus, his son. We pattern our life after him. And that's what these verses are about. Now, many times, our human nature resists words like command. <laughs> follow my commandments, Right? We don't like that word. Would you rather be told what to do or asked what to do, right? We don't like being told what to do. There's something in our human nature that simply resists being commanded. We don't like that word because we don't like authority. It's in our human nature to resist authority. Go back with me in your mind for a second to the very beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, when the Bible tells us about the first people, Adam and Eve, when they're given a command by God. Do not eat of one particular tree. Hey, he tells them, you can eat of every other tree, but he gives them one tree that they can't eat. They can eat of all the others, but not that one. And you know the story. They eat, right, of the tree they're not supposed to eat of. Eve's tempted, falls, Adam stood by, watches, and willfully disobeys God. And since then, we have 
All like Adam and Eve, we have resisted authority. See, Adam and Eve wanted to be their own boss. The temptation that got them from the, from the serpent was be like God. They sought to root God out of his rightful position in their life, to be rid of their need for him. We've all done that. We sought to root God out of our life, to be in charge. And many times our problem with human authority in our lives is a deeper issue. Our problem with authority in general many times is a deeper issue. It's a reflection of our problem with authority, the authority of God. Every human has an issue with God's authority, with obeying him. It's called, it's, we call it human nature, but it's really our sin nature. Because every human is born with a sin nature. And our, when you become a believer in Christ, you get a new nature. And your new nature in Christ submits to even delights in God's authority. We obey his written word, and we follow the word made flesh, the Son of God, Lord Jesus. And later John shows that the central aspect of obeying God's command, as he's going to say, is the command to believe on Jesus and to love one another. Let me read to you from 1 John 3, verses 23 and 24. This is the commandment that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he's given us. This is his commandment. He says we believe in the name of Jesus Christ and love one another. That's what John's really concerned with because that's the heresy he's combating. These false believers have cast Jesus aside. They no longer believe on Jesus. And they've left the church. They're claiming to be the, the true followers of God. But they've left the church showing that they don't really love Christians. And he's saying, man, you don't believe in Jesus. You don't love one another. That's like the bare bones basics of what God has told us to do. Believe Jesus is the Christ and love one another. Now, as one Bible scholar put it, to believe in the New Testament carries the idea of a type of belief that involves committing your entire life to someone in total submission. In the New Testament, it's not just some mental ascent thing where we check some boxes. It's not the picture of belief we see in the Gospels. To believe in the name of Jesus Christ carries the idea of a willingness to follow him in obedience and commit your life to him. His name, to believe in his name is his whole person, his whole identity. And Jesus Christ is revealed throughout the New Testament primarily as Lord. <laughs> in our vernacular, boss. King of kings and Lord of lords. King of kings and boss of all bosses. That's Jesus. He is God in the flesh. You can't believe on him truly and not recognize him submit to his lordship. And that's and when we do that, we will be willing to keep his command. So at the heart of all this, we're back to authority. Believers recognize Jesus and the word of God as authorities in their life. Because God is, in fact, God in their life. They don't rob God of his godness. So let's look at two big truths to help kind of get some handles on this and what John is saying. Number one, believers pursue obedience to God's commands. He says, we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. This lines up with the promise of the new covenant found in the Old Testament, that believers would be obedient. Ezekiel 36, in the Old Testament, right? Written a long time before John wrote, Ezekiel 36, verses 26 to 28. It says, And I will give you a new heart, God says, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules or commands. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I'll be your God. That's God talking about the promise of the new covenant when one day he was going to put his spirit in his people. Why? Why? Why, why is the spirit going to be in us? So that we obey. Right? 
so that we obey. These are people that are the followers of, now the New Testament would say followers of Christ. They have the Spirit so that they are careful to obey God's commands. There are people that claim to know Him, as we see in 1 John, but do not keep His commands. They claim a relationship with God without properly relating to God as God. They say they are His people, but they refuse to treat Him like He's their God. And that's a problem, right? That's a problem. And when we have a relationship with God, how we relate to Him should be affected. So if we know Him, we should treat Him like God by obeying what He says. And if we don't do that, it betrays what we're saying. That's what John's getting at here. Our lack of relating properly reveals it reveals our lack of relationship. When we do not relate properly to God, it reveals a lack of relationship with God. John says such a person is a liar. The truth is absent from them. It's not in them. Instead, it is those that keep the word that know him. He said, we can have confidence because we keep his commands, he says. It reveals we are people that treat God like God. We're not merely saying we're his people. We believe he's our God. It's only the one who keeps, who obeys the word that John says the love of God is perfected. What does that mean? See, a lot of people claim to love God. Very few people that are even believe in deity to some extent which is saying they don't love God. A lot of people claim to quote unquote love God. But our love for God is complete. It's true. It runs its course as one person said when we obey. We, we can't really love God and not obey Him. We'll talk more about this next week but primarily he's saying the command to believe in God is to love one another. Love for God though should lead to obedience to God is what John wants to see in it's very much similar to what Jesus said in John's Gospel, John 14, 15. You'll see a lot in 1 John play back and forth between John's Gospel and the epistle because the same guy wrote both of them, right? And in John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep, same word, right? You will keep my commandments. So Jesus says, you say you love me, but if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Well, what does it mean if someone just refuses to line up under the lordship of Christ, refuses to pattern their life after what the Bible says, who disregards God's commandments? It says they do not love Jesus. But what if they feel warm fuzzies when Hillsong comes on the radio? Yeah. <laughs> what if they really could sing in this love forever? John says you're liar. Truth's not Their hearts deceived them. I mean, strong words, right? It's not about warm fuzzies. It's about if you love me, you'll obey me, right? Keeping God's word, his commands, is about active pursuit of obedience. It, it, it's not just a, it's about more than avoiding wanton, rebellious, just sin, like just going headlong into sin. It's about more than just avoiding those big ticket items we talk about when we think about sin. Not messing up too bad. Not doing certain things. It's about actively seeking to hear and comply with God's Word. It's about looking at God's Word with a desire to line my life up with it. It's about a desire to follow God's design in every area of life. That's what it means to obey. That's what it means to keep His Word, to keep His commands. You may have a life. I may have a life. Any of us may have a life free from obvious, flagrant, habitual sin, but have a very disobedient life. The absence of obviously bad fruit does not equal the presence of good fruit. A barren tree is not a fruitful tree. It's just a barren dead tree, right? Amen. God's people are not neutral. They're not a group of people that simply avoid doing bad things, right? They have 
good fruit in their lives. Let me ask you, if you're building a house, you're building your dream house, you bought some land somewhere, a plot in a neighborhood, and you've worked and picked out the design you want, they give you the options and you pick out the one you want, you work with the architect and you've got the master bath you want and the kitchen you want and the front yard and the back porch you want and imagine you go out and the, you're sitting down with the builder and you hand him the architect's design that's approved and ready to go and what would you think if the builder's attitude was, hey, great, we'll get something up you can live in. At the end of this, you're, you'll have four walls and a roof and even a floor. You think, man, I'm the boss, and this is the plan, and you need to follow it. You need to follow it. I'm paying for this, right? Follow those plans. You want a builder who will meticulously follow the design you've approved, not one who's simply going to give you a livable structure. And believers do not merely pursue a life of not messing up too much. We pursue following Christ, obeying His commands, building our lives in His Word. They follow God's design for life and godliness because they love Jesus and they, they submit to His authority and His Lordship. And It's about more than just not having a life that's a wreck. It's about having a life that honors God, that represents Christ. Jesus, in fact, told a story in the Gospels about what we sing about with our children, right? The wise man who built his house on the rock, the foolish man built his house in the sand. What was Jesus talking about? One built his house on his word. One did not. He disregarded the word. One's life ends in calamity, destruction. One's life stands. It's always been about obedience. Some think a life of obedience to someone else, even to God, isn't freedom. The summit sounds like drudgery, like misery. <laughs> right? But that's not the heart of the believer. You say, how do you know that? Well, 1 John 5, 3 tells me that. Let me read it to you. 1 John 5, 3. This is the love of God. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. Okay, you said this, John. And His commandments are not burdensome. To love God is not merely to keep His commandments. It's to keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. As Jesus put it, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. The believer is not weighed down by the commands of Christ. First, we're not obeying, as we said at the beginning of the message, for salvation. We're obeying from salvation. So we're not weighed down trying to save ourselves, get ourselves forgiven. Second, Jesus empowers us to obey. And with a heart that has been transformed to a heart that loves God, the new nature, soul that is saved, the Spirit of God empowering our obedience, the believer joyfully obeys God from the heart. We look at God's commands and we don't see drudgery, we see beauty. And when we, and when we look at them wrongly, the, the Spirit gets that corrected in us. And we repent of that and we begin to, to see the beauty in God's commands. You know, when our kids first started coloring, our oldest is five, right, Kevin? And when we first handed him a crayon and a piece of paper to color on, you just hope he stays on the paper. Right? Just, I mean, a little noise he'd make. You know, like a car running or something. It's over and over and over. This is big red sheet of paper and tape. You know, he gets a little older and he's on the paper now. And now he's actually trying to keep it in the lines, right? But when you first give a kid a crayon, the lines are so restricted. It's annoying even, right? Because they can't do it, right? You can't do it. A, a two-year-old just can't keep it between the lines, and so the lines are just, ah. 
But as they get older, they see the line and they realize, man, you know, the lines, they're not so restrictive. They're giving meaning to the page. This scribble-scrabble, as my kids call it, all over the sheet of paper, doesn't really give a lot of meaning. But when, as we adults know, when you follow the lines and you color where you're supposed to color, at the end you get this like pretty picture. The lines are no longer robbing the page of its meaning. It's reinforcing, giving meaning. And believers know God's commands, His Word, they do not rob our life of meaning. They reinforce true meaning. Our lives only make sense lived within the lines of God's commands. Life makes sense lived by God's design. Let me ask you, do you seek to build your life on the Word? Do you set out to obey God? That means when we come through the Bible and we're like, I know I'm about to read through the book of 1 John. never read it before. I don't know what's going to be in there. Hope I like it. You know? <laughs> Do you go to it, is it with the idea of kind of like, we'll see how this goes, God. <laughs> or is it, okay, this is God's word. And what it says I will do. And what it says is true is true. That's the heart of faith. The heart, the heart that treats God's word like a buffet. It says, you know, I'll just load up on the mac and cheese and forget the vegetables. That's not the heart seeking to obey his commands. And this particularly applies in 1 John to the love command. The command to love one another. Do we pick and choose who to love? We'll talk more about that next week. But, or do we simply love as God has told us to love? Number two. Here's another thing to have to get our hands with. Believers pursue being like Christ and will be made like him. See, we don't just have commands to follow. We've got a template. A pattern, a person. By this we may know that we are in him, verse 6, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Why is this in this passage? Because Jesus walked in perfect obedience to the Father, perfectly obeyed the Father. He perfectly loved others. He's, he lived the life that we can't live. Jesus is the Lord of the believer's life, so the believer seeks to obey Jesus' word. Jesus is the Lord of the believer's life, so he seeks to model his life after Jesus. The believer wants to be like Jesus. This is what spiritual growth is all about, becoming more and more like Jesus. Believers in Christ are supposed to progressively see the character of Christ being produced in our lives. God's goal for the believer, according to Romans 8, 29, which I'll read here in a minute, is to be like Jesus. To walk here. He says, whoever, we must, whoever abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. It's a euphemism used throughout the Bible for living your life. The pattern of your life. So if we say we abide in Christ, remain in Christ, have a relationship with Christ, we ought to walk like Christ. This is how we know we're in fact in him. That word ought, right? In the Greek carries the idea of personal obligation. The believer has a personal obligation to live like Christ. Why? Because we're in Him. And those who are in Him ought to be like Him because we belong to Him. Believers should be like Christ in that He is the perfect example of obedience. He perfectly obeyed the Father. He perfectly loved others. Obeyed the Father to the point of He willingly went to the cross, the Bible says. Obeyed to the point of death, even death on a cross. He is the one who saves us from not obeying ourselves. He is the one that shows us how to obey. He's the one that empowers us to obey. 
He consumes the life of the believer and becomes our pattern. And he can't be your model before he's your savior. That will crush you. Trying to live like Christ without being saved by Christ. When the believer looks in the word and how Christ obeyed the Father, loved others, helped the hurting, was consumed with glorifying the Father, our hearts long to be more like that. In him we see how God intends for us to live. And this all comes back to the fact that we have believed on his name. He is our Savior and our Lord. He is, he is where our loyalty lies. He's our true king. Now, Believers pursue Christ's likeness with the understanding that one day we are, in fact, going to be made like Him. It's a promise. Not in the sense of being all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present, but in the sense of not sinning, having a body that doesn't grow old or die like Christ has now, a glorified body, being away from the presence and power of sin altogether and, and living in perfect obedience to the will of the Father. We're going to get there. Romans 8, 29. I told you how to read it. It's on the screen for you. For those whom he, for those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. See, what is God doing in the universe? What is the whole big deal? What is he doing in saving sinners? He is making them like his son. Conforming them to the image of Christ. God is in the business of that. And God, God's plans and his purposes do not fail. Though we fail to perfectly obey God in this life, though we struggle with sin in this life, one day that struggle is going to end. God's plans do not fail, and His plans for you, believer, are really big. 1 John 2, 28-33. This is another passage I want us to look at. 1 John chapter 2, verse 20. Just a little bit over from where we were at, chapter 2. Verse 28 through chapter 3, verse 3. John writes, And now little children, Abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. So, Paul's right there. When Jesus comes back to judge, is what he's talking about. Believers can have confidence and not be ashamed if we abide in Him, if we remain in Him, if we're in Christ. No reason to be ashamed. We're not going to be judged for our sin. Notice, all who practice righteousness have been born of Him. We are born again. We are part of His family if we practice righteousness because He, in fact, is righteous. And the righteous one produces righteous children. And those born of God, those born again, do what is right. Verse 3, or excuse me, chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. <coughs> Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has yet has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Who are we? Children of God, He says. And that's how much God loves us, that He calls us His children. Notice, we are His children now, and what we shall be has not yet appeared. What is that all about? He's saying, we have not yet achieved our end result. No one on earth has reached the goal of being made perfectly like God's Son. Jesus being made perfectly Christ-like in our conformity to the will of the Father. But when Christ comes back, we shall be like Him. There is coming a day when the believer will see Jesus. 
when the believer will be transformed by Jesus to have a glorified body that does not sin, that does not even get tempted to sin. Sin will not be in us nor around us. In 1 John, we see that true believers in Christ will obey God. That's the pattern of our life. We pursue obedience and building our lives on God's word and commands. And this is particularly true of the love command. And by the way, if we love one another, as 1 John talks a lot about, that takes care of a lot of the other commands. <laughs> we have an example in Christ of perfect obedience, perfect love. And believers, true believers who have a new nature, strive to pattern our lives and our character after him. We fail. We fail. We're not perfect yet. But we know a day is coming when we shall be rid of sin and shall be like Christ. Now here's the thing. He, John says, if you have that hope, you purify yourself. In other words, there's something about looking forward to being like Christ perfectly that helps you be more like Christ now practically. It's Colin Cruz puts it, the hope of being like Christ in the future expresses itself in an effort to purify oneself to be like him in the present. See, believer, we do not pursue a goal of Christ's likeness that we shall never attain. We pursue one that we will not attain in this life. But we pursue one we will attain when Christ appears. And as gospel believers, we know and believe that Jesus will return and, and, and we will be transformed and until then, we joyfully obey God, patterning our lives after Jesus our Lord who saves us. That's what a believer does. Grows in Christ's likeness by obeying God's commands that has been lived out before us in the Word by Jesus. Let me ask you, do you desire to walk, to live, to be like Christ? Is He your authority and your goal? Look at our culture. We have an entire industry of websites, magazines, television shows to simply update you on the life of celebrities. It's amazing. Open one of those magazines up. I don't recommend it, but you can open one of those magazines up where you send a line to Publix and you'll see things like this. Look! It's a celebrity taking out their trash. They're just like you. <laughs> They're just like you. We gravitate in our culture towards imitation. When I was a kid, one of the most successful advertising campaigns I can recall had a little jingle that said, like Mike, if I could be like Mike. And without saying anything else, most of the room knows what I'm talking about. It was that successful. It was Michael Jordan, and it was selling Gatorade. And it was so successful to my generation that I didn't just, want, I didn't just drink a lot of Gatorade. I looked for the flavor I thought he would like. <laughs> I, wanted his, I wanted his Gatorade. I wanted his shoes. I, I wanted it all so I could play basketball like Michael Jordan. And they sold me shoes, and they sold me Gatorade, but... It failed. I did not play basketball. <laughs> but our culture, we have this knowledge. We know people want to be like. We, we, we desire to imitate. I watch my son as he grabs his laptop and says, I'm going to work like daddy because he's seen me work on sermons at a laptop. Right? It's in, our, we're just, it's in our nature to imitate from birth. Why is that? Why is that? Why is it in our nature? Why do we gravitate to copying people? Why is there really no super original in the sense of we all kind of copy other people to one various degree or another? Why is it? It's because you're made to be like someone. We're created to be like someone, to imitate someone, and that person is Christ. 
You're made to be like Christ. God created you to ultimately, because He wants you to be like Christ. In Christ, we see what it truly means to be who we're supposed to be as humans. And until we're reconciled to God, we'll imitate all sorts of things, but not Jesus. Or we'll strive to imitate Him trying to earn our salvation and be crushed by it because we fail so miserably. But when we become reconciled to God through faith in Jesus, we then pursue being like Him from a heart that's transformed. And progressively, we begin to see, we look over the years of our life, and we can go, you know what? That attitude has changed. This has changed, and this has changed. And yeah, I still struggle here, and I failed here the other day, but there's, there's a progression in my life of becoming like Christ. Let me ask you this morning, who do you long to be like? As you look at the course of your life, is there a progression towards Christ's likeness? Who is the dominating influence in your life? Is it Christ? Do we strive to live as He did in the sense of obeying the Father and seeking the Father's will and loving others, living for the glory of God, living by faith in God? Or is our character shaped by lesser things, lesser people, and lesser goals? <clears throat> Believers in Christ are in fellowship with God. Therefore, we recognize the authority of God, God and the authority of God the Son, Jesus, and we strive to obey the commands and the word of God to keep his word and to become like Christ, the example of perfect faith and obedience to the Father, knowing we will one day be like him. This especially shows itself in our love towards others, and particularly toward other believers, as we'll see next week. But the question is simple. Do you desire to obey the pattern of your life after God's word? Are you seeking to be like Christ? That is one of the marks of a true believer. If we say we've come to know him, if we say we've trusted Christ, if we say that's where our faith is, is that what our life looks like? Not perfectly, but is that the pattern? And believer, we can take heart today knowing that we will get there. And sometimes we just need to, we just need to hear that. When we fail and when we're struggling and we feel like we're climbing uphill because we are, but sanctification is always an uphill climb with grace pulling us the whole way, you will get there. It is written in the Word of God. You will get there. God will make sure one day you shall see Him and be as He is, not in terms of deity, but in terms of sinlessness. And be transformed to be like Christ, sinless without an ounce of rebellion against God's authority, living fully to God's glory for your eternal life. Let me ask you today, are you, as John puts it, born from above? Is your life characterized by obeying God's command? Does, does it show in a desire to be like Christ? Is Jesus and the Word of God the dominating influence on your character? Or do, today, do, do you need an act? And the good news of 1 John, the good news of the Bible is that the one we have failed to obey, the authority we have rejected, came to be our propitiation and our advocate. God the Son came, took the judgment we deserve on the cross and rose again so that we can be reconciled to God. And then He stands before the Father when we mess up and when we sin, and he speaks for us and says, they belong to us. They are ours. My blood is covered. There's a, he is our advocate. Do you have an advocate in Christ? 
If not today, I encourage you to trust Christ. And believer, in what ways today are you not seeking to be like Christ? In what ways are you, are you bucking against that? In what ways are, are you bending away from that? In what ways are you letting the influence of Christ and His Word on your life wane in certain areas? In what ways do you need to better pursue obedience to God's Word? Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Don't put it off to tomorrow. Don't think, well, you know, I'll deal with that area a year from now or ten years from now. You may not be here a year from now. Delayed obedience to God is disobedience to God. Somebody said that one time. It stuck with me for years. Delayed obedience is disobedience. If he's God, he's to be obeyed today. Is there an area in your life that needs to line up? 